Yes, yes, it is DJ Ski from Dash Radio, and you are now listening to the number one South Asian radio station in the world. I'm talking about Ruckus Avenue Radio, Dash Radio's exclusive South Asian station. Let's go. I'm a doctor, a father, an American, an Indian. I've had conversations about life from every angle. And as I've navigated the South Asian experience, I share stories of people and their purpose. And what they're saying over and over again is, trust me, I know what I'm doing. I'm Abhay Dandekar, and on this episode of Trust Me, I Know What I'm Doing, a conversation with adaptive athlete and disability access strategist, Vasu Sojitra. Stay tuned. First off, thank you all so much for listening and sharing this with your friends, for subscribing to the podcast, and for following us on social media at Dr. Abhay Dandekar. So as a pediatrician, one of my roles is to help advocate for equity for everyone and also steer supportively towards resilience. Where there are humans, there are a spectrum of abilities and disabilities in everyone. And as we find ourselves adapting, our success often depends on the support from those around us, the opportunity to access experiences, the recognition of our own potential, and the discovery of joy in the journey. When Vasu Sojitra was nine months old, a serious blood infection resulted in the amputation of his right leg. Vasu was born in the U.S. to immigrant parents and spent a few formative years in India after losing his leg before returning to Connecticut. When he was 10 years old, Vasu saw an amputee skier using two short skis mounted on poles to assist with balancing and turning. His parents got him a set, and since then, Vasu has been exploring the outdoors and paving an encouraging path for others to follow him. Vasu is an adaptive athlete, and with his forearm crutches, he calls ninja sticks. He's been skiing, mountaineering, skateboarding, and pioneering with the motto of ninja sticking through the wood to center intersectionality in the outdoors. His achievements have been profound. He's climbed and skied the Grand Teton Peak in Wyoming and Cotopaxi in Ecuador, and last year along with adaptive athlete Pete McAfee, after climbing the 20,310-foot Denali Peak in Alaska, Vasu became the first adaptive athlete to descend on skis. Moreover, Vasu's organizing, advocacy, and access work have built confidence, licensure, and community to make the outdoors more inclusive and accessible for the marginalized. He's the co-founder of the Inclusive Outdoors Project and was the first adaptive athlete to represent the North Face. Through this role as a disability access strategist, Vasu also brings a spirit of emboldening and disruption, while also being sensitive to listening and understanding with grace, humor, and determination. We caught up to chat about it all, and I asked him what it felt like to be an adaptive athlete in 2022, in an era of great enthusiasm for inclusion and equity, but still with much, much work to be done. Yeah, I mean, it is a unique situation for sure, and being able to vocalize what I'm able to do in the mountains and what my community, the disability community, is able to do as well has been really, really monumental, especially within the mainstream uh, media world. So that's that's kind of been the biggest push for me is just to showcase our stories in a more broader sense. So more and more people understand what, again, disability means and what being a person of color means in these many homogenous spaces that, you know, we don't tend to see people like us in. And so, yeah, just trying to just share the diverse point of views that 
many of these communities do have, but don't tend to be elevated as much. For you, has have you seen any sea change as we try and get a little bit more towards that uh, lens of understanding better and these stories coming out and come and pushing them to the forefront a little bit? Or is there still kind of friction and 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 barriers to to getting these kinds of things out there? Oh, I mean, definitely, it's pretty imperfect, I'd say. But there's definitely a lot of people and companies and organizations and spaces that are doing a decent job and always learning through their process and uh, learning through different experiences, different people that might be joining and being able to voice their perspectives. So yeah, it's I mean, it's a give and take there. And it's never going to be perfect, I don't think. But we can always try and make sure that we are creating spaces that are more inclusive, more, more accessible for the greater majority of people instead of just the select few that currently it is. And, and I wonder if that select few is at some point it points back to sort of like the perhaps wealth that it takes to in some ways appreciate or enjoy the outdoors in its version that the media portrays it. Yeah, right. I mean, it's just the people that have had access and uh, opportunities right off the start and it's just much different for different communities to be able to access these spaces. And some of those those barriers are starting to get broken down and more and more people that look like us and folks that look much different than us too, different abilities, different race, ethnicities, genders are also being able to take part in these activities, these spaces, these communities more so. And yeah, I definitely have more hope in that sense, just to, you know, just seeing it happen right in front of my eyes, for sure, when it comes to that representation and that that voice who's at the table. What's uh, so far, at least recently, been, you know, some of the surprises that you felt as this comes more to the forefront and as more people gain access? You know, for you, someone who's thinking about this quite deeply, what if maybe you've been surprised by Yeah, it's kind of, I've more so been just shocked at the lack of inaction that many communities are taking when it comes to these um, very difficult, I would say more historic times, I'd say, you know, so just some of that complacency that might be happening in a lot of communities that brush these issues aside, um, that's definitely diminishing of some of these movements, I'd say. And I mean, it is, it is nice to see these allies these companies showing up in ways that are supportive but i just i would personally love to see more um i don't think i'm seeing enough especially like me being in the ski industry of all like the ski industry is probably the least vocal least um loud about any of these issues and i would just love to see more and more of that as as time goes on you know are there elements of your experience so far that have emboldened you in some ways to kind of be an an ambassador or a disruptor, almost a sort of confidence booster, you know, or or a passport to taking not just the physical risk, but even the sort of conceptual risk. Yeah, I mostly get motivated by dissenting (laughs) in a lot of different (laughs) spaces. Um, Yeah, I'm definitely one of the button pushers. I'm definitely the one that people Sometimes are like, oh, crap, Vasu's talking again, Um, (laughs) uh, is what I noticed. And that's fine. I don't really care. I mean, like, what I'm trying to say is not about the same complacent motives that many of these communities already have in place. It's to change up the narrative 
is to bring a different perspective to these spaces that many people not, might have never noticed before. And yeah, I mean, it is going to be uncomfortable. There's going to be need for someone to speak up. You know, I'm not the only person that's speaking up in that regard. And I definitely know there's a lot of different people in my community, folks that are, you know, by my side when it comes to vocalizing these bigger issues, um, when it comes to providing more access and inclusion. And a lot of it, I personally think, has to be more radical than it already is, which I don't think it's radical at all. So I don't know. It's it's kind of comical to view radicalism as uh, supporting humans instead of supporting corporations or big money or whatever, you know. So, yeah, I don't know when being radical meant <laughs> caring for someone, um, you know, or caring for someone meant radical, but it seems like that's the case currently. When did when did that switch or aha moment kind of go off for you personally, where it you you did recognize yourself as someone who has to be a disruptor, someone who has to have that emboldened voice? Um, was there a particular experience or set of experiences that that sort of drew you into this space, or or naturally you found yourself in some ways vocalizing the things that were on your mind? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it was like a full, it took a little bit of time. It wasn't just like one moment. It was multiple different moments over and over again, year by year, but, um, definitely got more motivated to take part in adaptive sports when I was younger, volunteering and interning in Vermont at a, at Vermont adaptive being on lessons and seeing younger kids with disabilities, having the time of their lives, just skiing, you know, very moderate slopes. And that was, that was really cool to see how impactful skiing was and being outside was for someone who might not have that kind of joy day in and day out and that privilege of being able to access some of those spaces. And that was really cool being part of a bigger organization here in Bozeman and running those programs, talking with parents and caregivers and the athletes as well, and um, just kind of understanding the broader concept of disability was definitely a big eye-opener for me as well and kind of pulled me away from just my small understanding of disability as an amputee, but also, you know, talking with others that have spinal cord injuries, that are autistic, that have Down syndrome, all these really sometimes hard-to-conceptualize disabilities really started playing into my understanding of what, like, this the word diversity even meant. And, yeah, that was kind of the some of the bigger moments around disability. And I kind of started connecting the dots with that and race in my, you know, South Asian-ness as well throughout that entire process. Almost a, a sense that the understanding and the realization that, you know, there's, there's obviously a, uh, something that's much bigger than the individual part of this much, much larger community. I wanted to ask you this, is there a balance as an adaptive athlete to quote unquote normalize or look past a disability while also at the same time magnifying it or bringing much more awareness to the disability itself in some ways to minimize the disability while you're also bringing more awareness and a magnifying lens to it for those who may not be necessarily aware of what that means. Yeah, I mean, definitely. So I was talking with a friend as well, and this concept of disability is always views, viewed with so much stigma and um, weight. 
And I, I'm just trying to break that down for many people in my lives and the relationships I have is showcasing that disability is not the bad thing. It's the outside effects. It's ableism. It's these uh, societal systems that we've created that make people that have disabilities feel less welcomed, feel unsafe. So, you know, that's kind of the idea is like, I don't want to erase. That's why I say disability and I'm proud to say disability and being disabled. It's a, it's another version of being human. Um, It's another Mm -hmm. form of being diverse. And again, diversity is kind of the spice of life and um, definitely provides different perspectives to the table to create better movements and better communities. So my idea of disability is that like we all have, are on this spectrum of ability. And once our systems start impacting our livelihood, once people can't attend certain events, go into certain buildings, aren't able to understand a certain language or, you know, not take part in certain things that are in our day-to-day lives, that's when that disability starts being hindered by those again outside factors yeah and that's that's the biggest thing i try to tell people it's not the disability it's the it's those societal norms that we've created that impact someone's livelihood i wonder if that's because it's athletics because the the, because sport is measured by an outcome or an achievement that that is difficult for some people to understand yeah, I mean, sometimes sport is an equalizer. You know, I'm able to keep up with my non-disabled friends whenever I'm in the mountains for the most part. You know, I'm not too far behind on the uphill and definitely right next to each other on the downhill. And it is a definitely an equalizer. And a lot of folks actually forget that I have one leg a lot of the times. Um, yeah. Because I'm so open and clear about what I need as an athlete and as a person. And that, I mean, that is cool. That's kind of the idea is to normalize it but also not erase my lived experience as a disabled person when it comes to like oppressive aspects of society that impact my life and my livelihood Yeah, that I have no way of changing in the moment, I'd say, but together as a collective, we do have a way of changing. You're listening to Trust Me, I Know What I'm Doing. After a quick break, we'll come back to our conversation with adaptive athlete and disability access strategist Vasu Sojitra. Stay tuned. Hi everyone, I know many of you are pet enthusiasts and dog owners, so let me introduce you to Timber Dog and the Rough Rest, the world's first multifunctional pet bed and the last pet bed you'll ever buy. Your pet's a part of your family, and your family is often on the go. Rough Rest is a complete sleep and travel system for your pet and a virtual Swiss Army knife of a pet bed, including a safety leash, luggage capability, and an inbuilt sleeping bag and pillow. Use Rough Rest at home, use it when you're camping, and use the promo code TRUSTME15 for 15% off through May 31st. Go to TimberDog.com and check out Rough Rest, the world's first multifunctional pet bed, and use promo code TRUSTME15 for 15% off through May 31st. You're listening to Trust Me, I Know What I'm Doing. Let's rejoin our conversation with Vasu Sojitra. You, you spent some of your early formative years in, in India, and I'm so curious of the impact in that time. And, and have you ever imagined, for that matter, what your life or even this passion for adventuring perhaps would have been like um, had, had you not returned to Connecticut? 
Yeah, my life would have been way different, that's for sure. But yeah, I did grow up in India from the ages of two to seven after my leg was amputated in the States. Uh, we decided to move back, get more family support after I was out of the hospital. Yeah, I mean, there was definitely formative years. I definitely, we weren't, we were like more, you know, middle class in Indian family, which is great. Sure. I mean, yeah. we're able to feed ourselves, go to school, all these things that are sometimes inaccessible for a lot of people in India. Yeah, it was, I mean, it was definitely formative. It definitely made me understand, I mean, in the moment, of course, like, I wasn't a critical thinker. Um, I was still developing as a kid and just, but that hands-on experience of being in these very impoverished communities and seeing that and seeing different ways people treat each other and different ways people treat disabled folks was definitely impactful in my upbringing. And that's kind of why I, you know, again, talk about that intersectionality part. It's the effects of disability in the States is much different than the effects of having a disability in India um, and other countries as well. And just trying to vocalize, like, again, like we have to focus on the human side of it all and just seeing where people really need support in this, you know, 30,000 foot view and where, where people need that support and how that will help them or me or any, the next disabled person around the world live a meaningful life. That's kind of, that's kind of what has helped me develop my understanding yeah, has, has that served as any sort of anchor for you in any way to, to sort of ground the intersections at all or, or at least provide some kind of foundation? Oh, for sure. I mean, definitely. I think some of the easiest ways for someone to learn is lived experience and build out. I definitely was able to build a strong muscle for my empathy early on as a child. I just didn't know how to like put it into actionable steps until later on in my life. But, you know, it's definitely something that molded me at a very, very young age. Yeah. And now as an athlete and as someone who's, you know, really making great strides, not only for yourself, but as uh, in the sort of ambassador role, how do you resolve things like fear or caution, especially when it comes to pushing yourself towards achievement? Yeah. I mean, I lean into those emotions all the time. I don't run away from my emotions anymore. Yeah. Definitely something I've learned one, as an athlete, and two, as, you know, someone that has worked in the disability world for about a decade now. And, yeah, it's it's just something I've always, you know, try to lean into now and understand where it's coming from, finding the root cause of the fear, the caution, or the sadness, or depression, or anxiety, or wherever, and try to just sit with it and grow with it. And for me, these emotions are what make us human. And I don't want to run away from them. That's the biggest thing. Yeah. Um, I don't like suppressing emotions. I don't like holding back. I'm pretty vocal and direct when it comes to a lot of a lot of the work that I do and a lot of the way I communicate. So has, has that embracing of these emotions and really sort of taking them in and, and processing, but also making it so that they're they're human and normal and authentic and genuine has that been an accelerator even to your um, athletic achievement a hundred percent yeah i mean as you may know moving in the mountains is pretty scary sometimes and um one decision can really throw off the day throw off a relationship throw off a lot of different things can be very dangerous so you know trying to lean into those and making sure those dis those emotions are what helped me make the safest decisions, not just for myself, but the people that are around me as well. 
whether that's yeah. in the mountains or my day-to-day life. So yeah, yeah it's, I mean, it's definitely a big thing that I try to focus on when it comes to how I recreate and how I connect with our natural landscape. I remember reading an Instagram post that, that you had shared where you noted that you were an awkward kid. And I, I'm curious when you, in, that, in light of that, when do you remember starting perhaps feeling less awkward? I think it was more so in college or so and started gaining a little bit more confidence around my ability as an athlete. Um, I was skiing a ton and connecting with a lot of friends and other people. And um, that definitely helped me dissolve those uncomfortable ways of kind of being and definitely was leaning into it as well and just trying to understand where I was coming from and uh, where these emotions were coming from and why I was not able to communicate as well as possible. And yeah, I mean, it just slowly grew and I started definitely being more and more vocal and building more and more confidence based around the people around me and uh, the activities that I was taking part in. It was definitely a big self-esteem boost, that's for sure, feeling validated in my own body throughout that entire process. I think age for me, uh, if I had to relate this, I think I've, um, as I age and get into my 50s, I find myself being that much more awkward. So it's good to see some some balance there. Uh, yeah, I mean, generationally, you know, it's kind of hard to keep up with the time sometimes. So, <laughs> but um, yeah, it's still, I mean, it's always a work in progress. I'm still awkward yeah. here and there, whatever, but um, I try to be true to myself as much as possible in every moment of my life. You were talking about some disabilities that relate back to autism or Down syndrome or, or other conditions. What are some of the disabilities that are more subtle or perhaps less attended to or less magnified when it comes to making the outdoors, outdoors particularly, more accessible? Yeah, I mean, a lot of it, a lot of it tends to, I don't know, I don't like to put disability into a box either. The way yeah. I focus on it is this, uh, the connection between our body and mind and the relationships we have with each other based off of that. And um, I don't know, some people like to vocalize it as like invisible or visible disabilities. Obviously, mine is mm. incredibly visible, but still... You know, there's a lot of other folks that might have different disabilities that impact them in a much, much different way um, in their day-to-day lives where they might not be able to get a job or be able to go to school or class based on the current systems that are in play, how people teach, how the, you know, the curriculum, the, the timeliness of work and all this kind of stuff that takes part in affecting people's um, way of living. Um, sure. So... Yeah, I mean, it, it's a it's a lot of different things. Ability is a massive spectrum. It's not being able or disabled. It's kind of we're on this full spectrum of how we interact with ourselves as well as how to how we interact with each other. And in the disability world, one size does not fit all. Um, there is a concept around uni- universal design, but that is still not a one size fit all kind of idea. It is more yeah. so. Uh, just a way of supporting disabled communities in the best way possible. I was going to say, it reminds me that that I wonder whether it's just merely the truth that empathy is the ultimate outcome here, that we're just trying to become more empathic. And and in that way, is empathy really just the, the ultimate vehicle to impacting change? 
Yeah, and I like to go beyond that too. So, you know, that's what the thing about representation and storytelling and having more diverse voices at the table, people will start understanding different communities and different cultures and where they're coming from based on these stories. For me, it's like empathy is a, definitely a bridge builder, but I like to go beyond empathy and understand that like I'm never going to be in your shoes and then you're never going to be in mine. But what are some of the things in our lives? Uh, what can we do in our lives to help support each other? Where like that's what the beyond empathy is is like you know understanding where you're coming from as much as possible, but also asking the questions and moving forward together and building that solidarity throughout that. You mentioned sort of always crediting and giving a reverence to indigenous land. And in some ways, what are some of the highlights of what you've learned from those people who've had such a profound relationship with the land? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I think it goes back to like my roots as Indian American too. I know that my family comes from a lot of rural um, spaces, maybe not indigenous per se, but definitely living and working off the land, connecting with our natural landscapes in a way that's, I would say, way more sustainable than some of these sustainable, so, so-called sustainable movements that are happening nowadays. But, yeah. um, you know, it's, it's definitely something I've been uh, attracted to in a way that's helped me understand my connection to nature and how I can build that to support uh, the native communities around me because they are the original stewards of the, every single land that we're on. They have a much, much deeper understanding of how to take care of our lands, how to connect with our natural landscapes in a way that is incredibly sustainable um, mm. to help, again, the next generation flourish and prosper in a way that, again, can hopefully reduce harm and suffering and maybe create a path towards a more peaceful future. You know, at the ground level, then, taking all of this in, thinking about disability, thinking about access, thinking about sustainability, and thinking about building relationships and bridging through those intersections that you mentioned, in a nutshell, what's the best strategy for increasing this kind of access to, and awareness for that matter, to, to outdoor recreation? Uh, letting marginalized people lead <laughs> is the easiest way I like to say it. Um, we want to be the bakers of the pie. We don't want a piece of the pie. Um, as one of my friends have, has vocalized and you know, the, the issues that we run into in a lot of these communities have solutions within those communities by the leaders in those spaces, by the bridge builders, by the healers, by the, you know, the, the people that are the pillars of those communities. So those are the ones that I love to interact with, communicate with, understand, build those relationships with to continue these movements so we can, again, reduce that suffering and harm, not just in our specific communities, but uh, the whole society. So that's, that's kind of my, you know, take on it. Basu, you've summited and descended Denali, you're North Face's first adaptive athlete, a disability access strategist. In, in thinking about the mantra of, of letting marginalized people lead, 
what have been probably some of the most important discoveries or lessons that perhaps you've learned as a leader? Um, that I don't know everything, but together we know a lot that I need to rely and lean on other people to create safer, more accessible, inclusive environments for everyone. You know, I, I can't do it all on my own. And I know the next, you know, person that's trying to be more vocal and take up more space can't do that on their own either. So, you know, I think we just have to work together as much as possible um, is just build bridges between people and communities that I might not be a part of. And it's going to be uncomfortable in the moment for sure. But once that like thin layer of discomfort is dissolved, the space and the communities um, that I've been a part of are just so much more, you know, supportive and so much more genuine and so much more helpful and um, nurturing towards each other and towards everyone around them, around us. Hopefully peeling away the, the top crust so we can all eat the pie that we've baked. Exactly. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Basu, thank you so much for being with us. We, I really enjoyed the conversation. Hopefully we'll, we'll be able to host you again. Yeah, no, definitely appreciate you uh, inviting me on. Thank you. And please check out VasuSojitra.com to learn more about Vasu's work. My daughter turned 19 last week, and as she embarks on another trip around the sun, let's ensure a green planet and a healthy climate for her and everyone else. Please visit ConsciousPlanet.org to learn more. Till next time, I'm Abhay Narnika. Yo, this is Hashki. Check out my song, Bhara, from the Ruckus Avenue, rising South Asian hip-hop. Competition go dekli. Tere ek bar ko ek bar sun.